Hello, and welcome to Awesome Leaders Lessons for Food Business Success, a podcast aimed at supporting the development and growth of women-owned food and beverage processing businesses in the Canadian prairies. Our guests include industry experts as well as food and beverage entrepreneurs to provide knowledge, real-world examples, and inspiration. My name is Bailey Gervais, and on behalf of the Awesome Program, I'll be your host today. In today's episode, we'll be chatting about entering the grocery retail market. This is a big step for businesses in the consumer packaged goods journey. Up to this point, people may have been selling directly to their customers at a farmer's market or trade show, and now you're ready to explore selling at a grocery store. It can be daunting to know where to start or what to expect. You'll see all the products on the shelves, so use that as inspiration. Many stores these days are prioritizing local products, so that's a great opportunity to get your feet wet. Our guest today will be talking to us from the grocery store side of the table and shedding some light on what to expect when you start on this journey. Matthew Sobokan is joining us from Winnipeg, Manitoba today, where he's the local development manager for Sobeys in Manitoba, Saskatchewan, and Northwestern Ontario. Matthew has over 35 years experience working in grocery retail and the consumer packaged goods industry, so we're very lucky to have him sharing his knowledge with us today. Oh, hello, everyone. It's, uh, it's glad to be invited, and it uh, gave me a reason to get spiffed up and dressed up today. <laughs> yes, so we're, we are the benefactors of that, and hopefully the people listening just on their headphones can just picture you in your spiffy suit. <laughs> okay, well, thank you so much. Um, I'm really excited for this conversation. This is the first time that I've had the opportunity to to kind of dive into all this with you. So um, I'm feeling excited about that. Um, maybe let's start off by you just telling us a little bit about your role as the local development manager and yeah. and kind of what that means and what the program is there that you're working with for Sobeys. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, Sobeys has been supporting local since uh, its very beginning back in uh, 1907 in Nova Scotia. And you know, it's always been done, uh, you know, by store by store basis or kind of ad hoc. And over the past few years, Sobeys has developed a more formal, but yet more personal program for our local suppliers. So the, the role of local development manager has us uh, having the first conversations with a supplier, kind of hearing their story, uh, providing them the steps to get into retail, providing them some guidance and kind of working with them. So it's, uh, we, we give them a good roadmap as to how to enter retail and, uh, like you said, I work with uh, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, and Northwestern Ontario stores, and we have four other local development managers across Canada that cover Alberta, BC, Ontario, and the Maritimes. Have you noticed the lo- the local focus has increased in the last little while? Like I know they've been doing it for for ages, but um, is it getting to be more of a, a trend and a priority? For sure. You know, we've heard from customers that they're looking to to support local and you see it in some ways, like you mentioned, uh, you know, for suppliers that are working at uh, food markets, uh, but they're looking for something else. And our, you know, our customers are looking for that as well. And, you know, we work very closely with our suppliers to make sure they're ready to kind of get into that next step and uh, and uh, enjoy interacting with customers. Um, typically outside of COVID, we used to have a sampling program, which we hope to get into as we start getting into the new norm. And that really helps the uh, supplier tell their story directly to the customer, like if they were at a farmer's market. Yeah, definitely. So what are some of those 
first um, steps and basic requirements that that a food business would need to have in place in order to start working with your program at Sobeys? Yeah, so the first step is always, uh, it has to do with the food safety. So we need the product to have CFI labeling uh, on it. And usually provincial governments as well as CFA directly can kind of give uh, the supplier the direction as to where they have to go and what needs to be on there specifically. Yeah. Um, we also uh, take the supplier and the individual items through our uh, food safety program that uh, really kind of identifies what the product is and and what our food safety ta- does, food safety team does, is they evaluate uh, the risk level and uh, find out whether a provincial audit is good enough or whether we need something a little bit more stringent like uh, CFIA or possibly a HACCP uh, audit done for them. Right. And is that pretty standard across the board for um, like grocery retailers of your size? Like there's kind of those food safety standards are probably quite high for everyone. Well, I think, you know, one of the reasons they are is that we want to make sure that, you know, this is really for the safety of the supplier as well as the stores and then finally the consumer themselves. You know, it's, you know, everyone's confident. There's never a supplier that I've talked to that obviously doesn't think it's important, but, uh, you know, they may not be following the steps that, uh, you know, ensures that any bacteria or any, uh, you know, contaminants uh, are not in their product, especially if it's uh, more on a high risk side. For sure. Yeah. It's just a, it's a great practice to, you know, keep leveling that up and having it front of mind for your business, for yeah, sure. 100%. Yeah, so after food safety, we, we set them up as a, a supplier, so be supplier, and we also work with them to set up their UPCs in our system as well. And Yeah, so they would have to have full um, ingredient label and all that stuff ready to rock. Correct. Now we're going to go with what CFI has dictated as to, uh, you know, the labeling that should be on their product. And and the UPC is something some suppliers already have or because they might be at a farmer's market didn't need, but we kind of give them some guidance on, uh, you know, how to, how to acquire one. For sure. So just a question on that then, um, because lots of people, I guess, would need to incorporate that onto their packaging. So is it better for people to kind of approach you before they've finalized and ordered a whole bunch of packaging so they can make sure to get the right uh, UPC on there or? No, not necessarily. You know, we kind of look at each each thing on its own merits. You know, if they already have packaging, we'll take a look at it. And if we don't think it's suitable for retail, you know, we'll let them know that. And, you know, these days, especially during COVID, you know, redoing your packaging isn't easy. So mm-hmm. if the CFIA labeling laws, uh, you know, it, even if it might be basic, you know, a sticker can be adhered to an item to kind of make it uh, CFIA uh, correct, uh, as well as, you know, UPC can have a you know, sticker on it. So right. we don't mandate that. It really depends upon the item and, and the look that the supplier is looking for. Okay. No, that makes sense. And then I guess just logistically, like what is the best way for um, a business owner to approach someone in procurement or, or purchasing at a grocery store? Like who do they, who do they talk to? Who do they reach out to first? Yeah. So we would hope that they would reach out to us first. And, you know, over the last few years, since we've had this program, we've kind of educated our stores that, you know, if a supplier does approach them first to kind of send them back our way. And this way we can make sure that everything's in place before they talk to the store, but we've never told them they can't talk to the store. And sometimes it's a good early introduction 
and it kind of allows them to get some guidance and maybe some background history from a store owner or a franchise owner or a, or a store manager. Mm-hmm. You know, so having that brief discussion can kind of help them you know, identify whether there's a want for that item, whether there's a need for that item. And it, it gives that supplier that introduction and the ability to kind of tell their story before you know, it becomes listed. And, yeah. and, and one of the things we've always encouraged our suppliers to do as well, that you know, once they're in that grocery store, if they're going to talk to the franchise owner or, or store manager is to look around at the section that they belong to. You know, it's important that they understand uh, the aisle, you know, that they want to make a home to because, you know, there's a lot of competition. You know, we all go grocery shopping. We see these, you know, hundreds of thousands of items in the store. So yeah. understanding where you could be placed, who your competitors are and what your price point looks like compared to your competitors is is extremely important. Mm-hmm. And kind of maybe what sets you apart or what your, what your niche in that certain category might be. And I think that's where the story, and I might, I might use the word story quite a bit, but I, I think that's one of the most important things about a local supplier because, you know, it's not to say that national manufacturers don't have a story, but it's not as close to home as, as a local supplier. You know, they can, they can explain the passion. They can say where the recipe came from, where they started out, where they became, and uh, customers want to hear that. Stores want to hear that. It's an important part of uh, selling local. Yeah, for sure. So um, reaching out and making sure you've got a a good clear message on on your story and then are there other little like important bits of information that you guys would want to know in terms of what their prior sales are or like any history numbers like that is that a consideration in the conversation or not so much not really. And we, we kind of take them because we, we see local suppliers from all different ranges, you know, from, from somebody who was previously, uh, you know, making in, in a small uh, kitchen uh, to uh, somebody who's already incorporated it and, and making it uh, possibly at the food center. Right. So we see all gambits of people. So, you know, previous sales may not be as important as, you know, what their drive is like or, you know, how different their product might be. Yeah. Okay. And then what is the, the process typically, like once you've had your initial meeting um, and I'm, I'm assuming you guys want to have samples of the, of the product and taste it, is that part of the process? Yeah, so what we usually start out with, especially if it's a brand new local supplier, not someone who's just trying to expand their products, we, we have an intake meeting mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll kind of get understanding of what they're doing today and you know, and even though, you know, sales are not important to us, but we're kind of curious as to are they selling at farmer's markets, you know, today and, and what's that experience like? Uh, is this their first kind of go at it? You know, that maybe they're not doing anything yet. Really, this is their first venture in, into sales. So we get a really an understanding of who they are, what they want to accomplish. You know, are they, you know, are, are they very small and want to deal with one store or are they, you know, they have a bigger aspiration. So we kind of start out with that intake and get an understanding of who they are. And then, like I mentioned before, we... We, we bring them into food safety and, and assuming that uh, that everything goes well theirs, we set them up as a supplier. And then we work uh, very closely with them on next steps. Samples obviously is important to really get an understanding of what the packaging looks like, you know, what the taste is like. Um, and a lot of times, you know, I will take this information and, and share it with my operations team or stores to say, hey, you know, I've tried something. This is coming down the pipe. You know, this is a story. It tastes real good. You got to see the packaging. So samples will, will a lot of times help tell that story. And, and it's the same way when they visit a store, it kind of completes everything. Yeah. And, and, and then, like I said, you know, the, the item would have to have EPCs and, and everything else. And, 
And, and then in the end, you know, the, the bigger picture of that introduction is, is really them introducing themselves to the stores. Uh, in our program, uh, the stores decide the items that they're going to bring in after we finish all the setup. So okay. the stores are really the hero in accepting and merchandising and providing the local items to the consumers. You know, so a lot of the background work and, and maybe, you know, mentoring the suppliers is done on my end. But, uh, you know, the stores are really, you know, the end process and, and the, you know, the real sellers of that item. So. Okay, that's interesting. So, yeah, you kind of like do the screening process and all the initial conversations and then it's like stores this these are some products that you should consider kind of 100 percent. we give them a sell so we give them something they can take to the to the store uh to kind of help the store understand uh, you know that the item is you know listed in our system and that the product will scan uh you know but after that you know that relationship really and that bonding is is up to the supplier and the store and and all of us local development managers continue to kind of help the supplier on, on their performance, you know, give them some mentoring on growth and, and provide them uh, promotional opportunities. Cool. That sounds like a really fun job. <laughs> it is. It's, it's something, if, if you like food and, and you like to mentor people, and one of the best parts about the job, to be honest, is, is to see somebody who is just starting out and to see their expression, you know, when they take a picture of their product, you know, on the shelf, you know, that, that, that yeah. kind of shine in their eyes, hey, look, look where I am. And then, you know, you know, watching that item, you know, maybe sell, you know, a few a week to, uh, you know, a couple dozen a week. And then, you know, which isn't a big problem in the end, but, you know, hearing from them that, you know, they have to buy, you know, new equipment to keep up with this. And, and it, it's fun to see somebody go from small to, uh, you know, to becoming a true business. Yeah, definitely. So cool. So um, I guess that brings me kind of into the next question, which um, you've touched on a little bit, but when they when they start to enter a grocery sector or um, Sobeys specifically, um, what level of capacity are they expected to be able to fill? Like, do you take a little bit at first or can you kind of run into a whole bunch of stores at once or what can they? It's really the beauty of the program. So it, it all starts off when we do that initial intake and we ask him that questions. So we have no issue with, uh, a supplier concentrating, you know, on a store that's, you know, in their own town or in their city, um, you know, and we we're, we have a few suppliers that just deal with one store. You know, we consider that to be hyper local where they're just dealing with one community, one store. And, you know, that's that, you know, true relationship. Yeah. Uh, you know, we can work with them to be in a few stores because maybe they can't produce as much. And there's some suppliers that have, you know, desire to supply the whole province. And, you know, and there's other ones that, you know, are looking to, you know, once that's done, you know, how do I, get outside the boundaries of our province. And, you know, we have a little bit more stringent rules and how we leave the province, but we work with them on whether that's possible or, or, and how to achieve that. It's nice that there's an array of options and that it's, it's not like you need to be able to do 10,000 units a month right off the bat or whatever. So. Well, every supplier is different and it really takes you back to that kind of food market kind of feeling, you know, if, if you're, if you're selling yeah. at a farmer's market and you're only selling to a few people, this gives you that opportunity to sell to a, to a few more, but in your same town. And, and for some items, that's really the extent of th that wow factor. And they're quite happy doing that. You know, they just want to be, you know, give them another opportunity to sell when they're not at the farmer's market or sometimes, you know, during COVID, they just couldn't sell at farmer's market. Right. So they kind of yeah. killed their sales. Yeah, definitely. That's been a real hit for people that relied on farmers markets for sure. 
Um, how do you determine if you will continue to carry a product or how do the stores decide that, I guess, um, whether they're going to continue working with a supplier or whether it's not working out and they're going to discontinue it? Yeah, it's, it's always a hard conversation and, and the biggest determining factor is turns, you know, is the item selling, you know, like mm -hmm. I said before, you know, th there's a lot of things in the grocery aisle and, and not a lot of space and, you know, national suppliers are always coming up with new items and, and trying to, you know, push for more space as well. So typically that conversation will happen by an individual, you know, store franchise owner or, or store manager and to the supplier and, and just let them know that unfortunately, you know, the item isn't selling at that particular store. And, yeah. you know, we always try to work with the supplier as well. And, you know, when that conversation happens, you know, not to be too discouraged because, you know, sometimes when one door closes, another one opens. And, you know, even though sometimes I've, I've had some hard conversations with suppliers where they take it very personally, but mm -hmm. it, it's the nature of the business. And if it's not moving at that store, it's not good for the store. It's also not good for them, you know, because they got paid once. Uh, mm -hmm. they're not going to have any return, you know, purchases if it's not moving from the store. Right. So, uh, you know, so it, it's a hard conversation, but typically if, if that does happen, it's usually has to do with the fact that it's just not moving in that one particular store. And that could be based on demographics. It could be based on a lot of different things. Yeah. Okay. Maybe this isn't necessarily for your specific program, but just in general, um, if somebody, approached a grocery retailer with their product and and say they maybe did have all their labeling correct and their food safety correct and 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 a store still didn't wasn't interested in bringing them on is that do they just should they close down close that book entirely or is there like value in following up again in six months or you know 100 percent. i i think I think they should have that honest conversation, you know, when the store lets them know that, you know, they're not going to carry their product anymore. I think it's a valid question to say, you know, is this goodbye forever or can I come see you in six months? <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and there's, and it's a true relationship, right? It's no different than, you know, human relationships, right? And, and, yep. and in some cases, when it comes to food, there's some seasonality to some food. So, you know, perhaps right. it's an item that can be revisited, uh, you know, either during the holiday season or a summer season, or it's the winter season item. And, uh, you know, there are some items that sell better at certain times. And if the store doesn't have a lot of room, you know, perhaps it's revisited at a different time. So to, to me, as long as you can leave on good terms, I think to have that honest conversation and understand why, you know, not just to walk away thinking, well, okay, that didn't work so well. But I think, you know, all of our stores are, you know, educated people and understand the reasoning why, or they should understand why it's not moving in that store. I have a pretty good idea. And I think you can take that learnings, you know, to something else or to somewhere else and understand maybe what you can do better. Right. For sure. And yes, I, the seasonality I could see for sure being a factor. Are there certain categories of products that are more competitive to enter or um, difficult to stay in that you can think of? Not really. You know, there's definitely some categories that are more saturated than others. And, and that's, that could be based off of one store versus another as well. But I think, you know, that important part again is, you know, when the suppliers is looking to enter, you know, the grocery business is to again, kind of look at the shopping and to see what kind of space is available. Mm -hmm. so, 
I don't think there's any one category where I'd say, you know what, it's impossible to get into a store or it's not something we're looking for when it comes yeah. to local. And because we do accept hyper-local, even though it might be a busy category, you know, in stores province-wide, it, yeah. it might be something that, you know, will be unique to the town or city that you're in that, again, you know, you have that relationship where the consumers is looking to support people within their own community and helps out with local jobs, helps out with the local economies. Yeah, for sure. So are there any, like, considerations in terms of like a refrigerated product versus a a dry product in terms of um kind of like what you're looking for and obviously you don't want i just envision it being harder for a refrigerated product to because they have a shorter shelf life and so their turnover probably needs to be a little bit quicker so Yeah, I wouldn't say it's more difficult. Obviously, it's a challenge, not just because of dating, you know, because then you know, possibly if it's not churning and they have a you know a, a low shelf life, you know, there's you know could be shrink, which which doesn't help with the store at all. But at the same token, you know, there's a lot more dry grocery aisles as well as dry display areas to to display and refrigerated or frozen space. You know, that there's a you know a set amount of space available. So. Uh, so again, when you're looking at that item, you know you have to kind of understand again where is your product going to fit, um, and each store you know will be different as well. You know we have smaller stores that don't have as much space, but again that you know that store an- manager or owner will you know definitely work with the supplier to let them know that they don't have space or it's space they can make in the future, or maybe that supplier has ten different varieties and that store will only be able to take two or three, right? So, right. Yeah. Yeah, and I think. Uh, potentially before you even get to this step where you're approaching a grocery retailer, probably go and look at the grocery store and the category like well ahead of time so that you can, you may need to like choose your packaging sizes to fit on a shelf differently or something like that. hundred percent. That happens quite often where, you know, you'll get those samples and you'll look at it and say that, you know what, it's never going to fit on the shelf based on the way, you know, our, our shelves are aligned and you kind of have to look at that competitive product and, and see the size of that. Not because you need to be a me too kind of item, but because of the fact that, you know, the shelves are aligned in a certain way. And if there's nowhere to put it, or if it's not going to be with those other items, you know, you could uh, not get the sales you think you might get. Right. Hmm. Interesting. So what do you think is important for maintaining or developing the business to retailer relationship? What kinds of things could the um, supplier be doing? I think the most important part is uh, communication, right? Because once they leave talking to me as often, you know, that one-on-one relationship with the store becomes that, you know, most important part of, of their daily, you know, sales or their, their, their lives with the store. So kind of understanding, you know, how are they doing? Uh, you know, where is it being positioned? You know, could it be positioned in a, in a different place? Uh, you know, how often do you want me to come? How would you like to communicate? You know, are we going to communicate via email? Uh, you know, are you a phone person? Do you want me to come in person? And if you do, which days? And a lot of times these small details, you know, are kind of just not forgotten, but just kind of not thought of. And, you know, when people go to a grocery store, you can typically see, you know, everybody's moving, everybody's running around. There isn't typically someone just standing there waiting for someone to approach them, right? So. So having all this information beforehand, and it might not be written in stone, but you know the 
the person you're dealing with at the store may say, you know what, Thursdays is my best day and uh, hey, I'm electronic savvy and uh, hey, just send me a text. And we do have suppliers and stores that communicate, you know, via text message. Uh, and there's a lot of different ways to communicate these days. And uh, But then there'll be some stores that will say, you know what, I, I want to see you in person and I want to have that kind of one-on-one -on -one kind of communication every time uh, you come in. So it's it's different by store, but uh, communication would be with the biggest fit once you're in the stores. Don't let that go. Yeah, definitely. It's uh, it's such a valuable thing to just stay in touch and make sure you're doing it in a way that um, suits the person that you're you're trying to work with as well. So no, that's good. Um. And over the years, what are some common mistakes that you've seen business owners make that you might say could be prevented? Well, I think the biggest one would be is, is taking the foot off the pedal. So, you know, all of our local suppliers are overjoyed, like I said before, about posting pictures of themselves on the shelves. And they're excited to kind of get that first sale and they start getting into stores. And they often think that getting into the store is the big win. And it really isn't, you know, having that product move off the shelf and into the consumer shopping cart is really that big win. Yeah. Uh, getting into the store, you know, obviously it's a win, but it's not the biggest one. So yeah. uh, making sure that, you know, when you do visit the stores that you're seeing that item is, you know, is, is turning. And and, uh, and if it's not, you know, working with the store to, to suggest, you know, maybe we can move it somewhere else, you know, it could be cross merchandise it somewhere, um, you know, possibly the price point is off, but uh, most of our stores, I'm pretty confident, would give the direction, you know, if they think the item isn't moving. And I think that's why, uh, like I said before, communication is really an important part of uh, that business relationship with the store. Another one is social media, which I think a lot of times is taken for granted uh, because, you know, especially now where you weren't able to sample maybe as much as you used to before. Uh, you know, people are following suppliers. You know, you have thousands of people who are watching you or following you. So, you know giving them updates or letting them know that, uh, you know, there's fresh product in a store or, you know, you're going to be somewhere or you have a new item coming out is extremely important. Or just engaging uh, local suppliers, uh, sorry, your local customers is uh, also as important. And a lot of times I'll see they'll do that just for different holidays with, you know, get a free bag of something, you know, enter a contest or share my, you know, my page and, uh, you know, win something. And that kind of increases their you know, their presence as far as uh, followers and then also gets people, you know, trying the product. Right. Yeah. That marketing piece is just because you've got it in the store, it's not necessarily up to the store to do the marketing. Like the, the business owner would still have a lot of that to be creating awareness and telling people where to get their products and stuff like that. Yeah, hundred percent. And you know what the nutritional value is, and you know why they should buy it. And you know, again, it's kind of hard to communicate that all within the store. But you know, social media gives you that platform, and a lot of cases, you know, inexpensively to to share that information, and then rely on other customers or people who are already buying your product to share that with their friends and and so on. Mm hmm. Uh, question about sampling programs and how those work. Is that um, is there a cost of being featured as a sample to the business owner? That's a good question. Uh, pre -COVID, we don't have one today. So pre-COVID, there, no, uh, uh, there was no charge to the, to the local supplier. Okay. They wouldn't even have to supply the goods to... Of course, yeah. So, okay, okay. 
Yeah, so the the supplier would typically bring in their you know their type of uh, table. You know, they would bring the product they want to sample, and they would arrange okay. with the uh, with the store in our company. We would make sure that they have the proper uh, food safety to be able to sample products, um, and uh, then they would arrange with the store. You know, from what time to what time, and and uh, provide customers uh, a sample of the product. And that's unfortunately one piece we're missing today because again, if it's a brand new item. Uh, you know, not to pick on a certain segment, but if it was popcorn, you have an idea what popcorn tastes like. You know, if it was a specialized popcorn or, or something that's different, you know, you, you really can't picture that until you actually, you know, put it in your mouth. And if you're going to pay a premium for the item, you know, you really want to know what it tastes like before you put your money down. Yeah, exactly. Hmm, hopefully that comes back. <laughs> I'm sure it will eventually. Yeah, for sure. Okay, well, we've... I feel like we've packed a lot of good information into this conversation, but is there anything else that you feel like would be important for people to know or um, anything else you want to say on the, on the topic about this? No, you know, I, I think it's, it's a great segment of the business. And I think that there's a lot of room to grow. Uh, like I said before, you know, the final consumer is wanting to support local. They want to support people that are, you know, are doing a business in their own town, city, province. Uh, you know, so it's important to continue to get new items into our stores, continue for the suppliers to tell their stories. And, you know, for a supplier who's listening now that, you know, might be on the smaller side that just kind of thought that, you know, getting into a grocery store is a dream, you know, reach out to us because, uh, you know, there's always, you know, we can have that honest conversation of what that, you know, role looks like being in a store and, and give them that kind of insight as to what it would take and whether maybe it is the wrong time or maybe not the right item for, for the store. But uh, there's quite a few of our items where it just became a, a simple cold call where they, you know, talked to a store, the store provided me their, their name and number. I reached out to them and, you know, they were amazed that somebody called them back. And again, at that point they were selling at a farmer's market, uh, didn't have a UPC or proper labeling. And uh, again, Provincial governments, you know, all have programs to to help some of the local suppliers. And then in turn, they typically have information on what their packaging should look like. So it, it doesn't take a lot of time to at least get a trial in, inside uh, one store. And a lot of times being in one store really gives you that opportunity to to test the market, right? To test how it would work and what would sell and, and get some learnings from that before you move on to, uh, to more stores. Yeah, and kind of figure out your own internal processes for facilitating all of that too. Yeah, because so. production may not allow you to be in a lot of stores and at least it gives you some idea as to what that may look like in the future. Definitely. Well, that's great. And so how do people connect with you? Is there a place online that is best or do you have a contact, any contact information you'd like to share or how does that work? My email address is uh, sobocan at sobies.com. Uh, or they can reach me on my cell phone at uh, 431-334-7194. Or if they're visiting any of their you know, local Sobeys, Safeway, or IGA, uh, most uh, you know, stores in the province I look after know how to find me. If people are listening in other provinces, uh, those stores will know how to find their local development manager. Okay. Okay. So that's an, another important part. It's Sobeys, Safeway, and IGA that you cover? For myself, uh, in, uh, in BC, uh, we look after Thrifty Foods, and, and in uh, Ontario, we also look after uh, Foodland, and uh, Atlantic Canada also has some uh, co-ops. 
Okay, great. So, and yeah, some of our members are in Alberta, so they could probably reach out to their store of interest and they could connect them to the local development program. For sure. And if they reached out to me, I would uh, definitely forward them to the appropriate person. I, I would never ignore anybody. Okay, perfect. Well, thank you so much. Um, we always round out our episodes with a few uh, off-topic questions just to kind of lighten the mood. Um, so first, first rapid-fire question is, what is a food product or uh, recipe or something that you've been personally loving lately? This might be hard for you because you get exposed to so many things. You know what? Um, it is a hard question because there's, there's not really a, a specific food product that I enjoy. There's nothing very specific, but I know during the pandemic, we kind of you know supported a lot of our local restaurants and my go-to comfort food would just be a charcuterie board. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, you know, with a lot of different stuff on it. And, and people always say, you know, it's not healthy to bring your, your work home with you. But uh, one of the things we always add to our charcuterie board are local items. And, and, you know, especially when it comes to things that could be on a, you know, charcuterie board, you know, everything from pretzels to cheese to meat, uh, you know, jellies, you know, there, there's so many things you can add. And, and these days recently, not has anything to do with local, but, you know, I've seen people do uh, French fry charcuterie boards. And there's, there's so many things you can do now. But having a, a small variety, you can just kind of nitpick at it uh, you know, for maybe an hour is kind of fun. I kind of, that's kind of my kind of favorite food. Simple. That's, that's a perfect answer, especially for your job and everything. And I would agree. That's my favorite way to eat is just nibbling on a bunch of different stuff. So, uh, great. So, and second question is, do you have a work or life resource or, um, trick or tip that, that you find helpful could be, organizational or wellness or an app no no apps really and I, I think you know i i do believe that you know it, it's healthy to take some time for yourself you know whether it's work related where to take some time away from work and you know go for a walk but I, I think my comfort thing to take me away from something that might be bothering me or to kind of relax is just, just it's just music you know nice. put earbuds in and uh i find that music can take you somewhere else it can take you to a different time it can uh yeah, so music's kind of my answer. I think that kind of unwinds me. Yeah, that's a great, great answer as well. Well, thank you so much, Matthew. It's been so nice to talk to you, and I, I hope I connect with you again through our, our membership or provide some introductions um, over the coming months. And, yeah, I'm excited to just keep checking out new local products at the store. I appreciate you having me. It was fun to do this. And uh, yeah, I look forward to, uh, to maybe seeing some new items that uh, you, know, you can bring forward as well. Yes, yes. I'm, I'm excited to make those connections. So yeah, thanks so much and have a good rest of your day. Thank you. The Awesome Program is an initiative of the Saskatchewan Food Centre. It's funded by Prairie's Economic Development Canada through the Women Entrepreneurship Strategy Ecosystem Fund. We are here to support women-owned food businesses through education, advising, and industry connections. Although we're based in Saskatoon, we serve members in Manitoba, Alberta, and Saskatchewan. For more info, visit the show notes or head to our website at beawesome.ca.